Okay, so chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And may God indeed bless this reading to us of his holy word. Amen. Let's just come before God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn now to study your holy scriptures, we pray that you would give us your spirit that we might understand, and having understood, that we might apply it to our lives and walk ever more faithfully to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. A good question to ask ourselves is, who rules? Who rules? Now, you might ask another question before we get to that. You might say, well, who rules over what? Good question. And I mean, who rules over the world? Who rules over all the affairs of human beings, over the national leaders? Who rules over Vladimir Putin? Joe Biden, Xi Jinping. Took me months to work out how to say Xi Jinping. Who rules over them? And people would say, oh, no one. Right? They're, they're presidents. Um, they're the ones who rule. And to be quite honest, we're rather frightened of them. Particularly the president of China, because China is developing such economic power that we're rather scared about that. But, of course, some people would also answer, look, no one rules. It's all just a mess. Everybody's out to look after themselves. That's a sad answer. But yet, we would feel there's a lot of justification about it. Really, no one rules. It's just a great mess. The world just lurches along from crisis to crisis. And we would feel there's some justification to this. Even churches and congregations do the same thing. You think everything is going fine, and then bang, from out of nowhere, a problem explodes. Yet we feel inside us that surely there must be some sort of sense to make of all of this. There must surely be some sort of rule over it, otherwise it is just lurching from chaos to chaos. And do we want to believe that? No, we don't. And, of course, there is an answer to this. There is an answer. He rules. The almighty God rules. That's who rules. This is what we assert because the word of God asserts it. And nowhere more clearly than in Psalm number 2. And I'd like to look at Psalm number 2 and look at it in some detail. 
to see what it is that it teaches us. So let's look at this psalm. And the first thing that it teaches us clearly is the plot against God. The plot against God. We see in this psalm that it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And they are setting themselves against Almighty God. That's the plot against God. And this, of course, shouldn't surprise us. Because there always has been this plot against God. There always have been those who want to drag God down from his place and reduce him to nothing. The devil plotted against God to deceive Adam and Eve. And they, willingly enough, gave in to the plotting of the devil. Then Adam and Eve plotted against God by believing the devil. And since then, the natural bent of the human heart has been to plot against God. In the scriptures, it is clearly presented. For example, you all know the story of Noah's Ark. Why did God decide that he would select Noah and his family to build the ark? Because the people were plotting against him, against God. And God said, I've had enough, I've had enough. You're to build an ark, you and your family, the representatives of all the animals will go on board, I will protect you, but all the rest will drown in the flood because I've had enough of their plotting against me. You all know the Tower of Babel, another story in the book of Genesis. Why did that happen? Because the people were plotting against God and God said, look, this can't go on. So God said... I'm going to come down and I'm going to confuse all their languages so that when one says to to another fellow, uh, can you hand me a nail, he'll look up and won't have a clue what he's talking about. So God came down and he confused their languages. And he did a pretty good job, didn't he? Because today, if you go to another country, unless you can meet someone who speaks English or unless you've gone to the trouble of learning their languages, which most Australians don't bother to do, um, you're going to have trouble. And then, of course, we're jumping over a whole lot. We come to Herod ordering his soldiers to go and kill all the children under a certain age because he believed that by doing that he would get rid of the king who had been born, plotting against God. And, of course, as you know, it didn't work because Joseph and Mary were warned by an angel to leave where they were. And, of course, as we read through the book of Acts, we read about the persecution of the early Christians, the plotting against God. As Stephen stood up to speak about the truth of Jesus Christ, those who were in charge stirred up the crowd against Stephen and he was taken out and stoned to death. So we see all through the scriptures this plotting against God. But it also comes out clearly in history. And I'll mention just one, but I'm sure you can think of others. In 1859, when Charles Darwin published his first work, about natural selection and evolution and so on. There were people 
who rejoiced in that book, that publication, because they said, we can now explain the world and all that is in it and we don't need God. And they thought, this is fantastic. (coughs) And of course, to this very day, people rejoice in evolution as a way of explaining the world and all that is in it because they don't need God. If that's not plotting against God, what is? And that plot is graphically described in the opening verses of Psalm 2. The nations rage, the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together to do what? And it says, against the Lord and against his anointed, plotting against God. They're going to break the bonds that make them dependent on God. We will cast away their cords from us. We will no longer have to answer to God. This has been happening throughout history, and it still happens, doesn't it? History is taught in our schools without reference to the hand of God in history. Mathematics is taught without reference to the wonder of the structure that God has placed within this world. Ethics is taught without reference to the commandments, the laws that God has placed within his scriptures. So there is is still this plotting against God. But the second thing that we look at is God's response. What is God's response to all of this? Now, we might think, oh, poor God, he cowers, he whimpers, that everybody's against him, people are plotting against him. What does he do now that people continue to plot against him? But, of course, you know that's not what this psalm talks about at all. That's not God's response. What does the psalm say? God laughs. God laughs. He holds the plotters in derision. Now, I'm sure at some time in your life, you've had someone laugh at you for some decision you have made and you have felt so deflated about it. But this is not what happens with God. When God laughs at the puny efforts of people to dispense with him, it spurs them to greater fury. And when they see the Christian church advancing, when they see people adopting faith in Jesus Christ, it spurs them to greater fury. And they want to bring in more and more laws to make it hard for these people because for their own good we need to stamp out this faith. It continues on. But God laughs at them. God speaks to them in his wrath. And he terrifies them in his fury. God is well able to do this. We see some natural disaster in this world. And we are rightly so sorry for the problems that this has caused to people. And that's, that's natural. That's the way it should be. But we need to remember that this disaster that we might think is so overwhelming is only a taste of what happened during the time of Noah's ark, the flood of Noah, 
and only a slight taste of what will happen when the Lord brings this world to its end. How do we know all of this is true? Because God has set his king at the place of rule. Jesus Christ has ascended on high, as we read in Acts. And he is sitting there at the right hand of God, at at his throne, at the place of rule over all things that God has created. And God has created all things. So Jesus Christ is seated there at his right hand, ruling over all things. Now some of you, I think, might remember the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Some of you are far, far too young. And you might remember all the pomp that surrounded the ceremony of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Well, that's nothing compared to the coronation of King Jesus. He ascended on high to the right hand of God. He was given not just the UK and the British Commonwealth, but he was given the whole universe to rule over. That is his to rule. That is his by right, whether people accept it or not. And God declared him to be his only son. That is where Jesus Christ our Lord is. And he rules over all things. And those nations are fully within his control. Don't worry about Xi Jinping. God is overruling all things that he does, all things that Biden does, all things that Putin does, all things that Scott Morrison does. In Jeremiah chapter 19, there is a wonderful chapter where Jeremiah takes a a flask that a potter has made and he smashes it and he says, this is what's going to happen. This flask that is broken, you can never put it back again together. And it's a warning to us that God is able to break and to smash and to break and to smash those who oppose him and his kingdom. Now, can we see this happening now? Well, I guess the answer is yes and no. Um, No, we can't. We can't look out at the world and say with definiteness, that's God's hand at work there. Because we walk by faith in this world, not by sight. And we accept by faith that God is at work advancing his kingdom. But occasionally we can see examples of this happening where God steps in to control this world, this earth. Some of you would be aware, I'm sure, that at the beginning of the Second World War, the German army was pushing the Allies, and as you know, they came to the beaches of Dunkirk, and um, everybody thought, well, that's it, they're all going to be taken prisoner, several hundred thousand of them. It's hopeless. For some reason, and nobody to this day knows the reason why, Hitler ordered his tanks, his punzers, to stop. And nobody really knows why. And by stopping, it gave the Allies time to get almost all of those men, those soldiers, off the beaches of Dunkirk and back to the UK. Why had that happened? Nobody knows. But we, with the eyes of faith, can say, well, there, God 
stepped in to the history of this world and he worked his great work and it is a wonderful work. So that's the second thing we see, God's response to their plotting against him. Now the third thing we see is the choice because the psalm talks about the choice and that in itself is grace, God's mercy to give us choice. He doesn't have to give us choice. He is under no obligation to us. We have sinned. We have disobeyed. We have departed from the law. God is perfectly within his rights to destroy us summarily. So even the fact that there is a choice is of God's grace. And what is the choice offered? God says, look, turn and be wise. You want to be known for your wisdom? Then turn. Turn from thinking You're the master of the world. You're the captain of your fate. Turn from that. Be wise. Listen to God and be warned. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Be warned by it. Turn from the way that you are going. Turn back. Turn back to me. This is grace. This is God, full of mercy. And this is addressed to the highest in the land and the lowest. Wherever you think you come in that continuum, it's addressed to you. If you're a prime minister or a president or a king or a queen, it's addressed to you. Because you are not above God. God is above. And it's addressed to those who are the lowest and who think, I am so low, I am so humble, um, nobody will take any notice of me. It's addressed to you too. Turn. Be warned. There is no appeal against his judgments. There is no need for an appeal because God's judgments are always just and wise and right. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We think rejoice with trembling, that's a bit odd. We hear a lot today about the love and compassion of God and it's true, it's true. God is love. God is compassionate. But it is also true that God is a consuming fire. He is the judge of all the earth. The Bible tells us all the books will be opened before him and we will be judged for every word that we have uttered. Whether we are a president or the lowest of the low, it doesn't matter. And then it says, kiss the sun. Kissing someone is a sign of of reconciliation, of making peace, of expressing love. So it's saying, make your peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him, trust in him, put your faith in him. He is meek and lowly in heart. He has gone to the cross and laid down his life and taken your sin upon him so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. If that is not grace... And that is not mercy. Where else are you going to find it? So the scripture says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there is the choice. You can refuse to do this, and then the inevitable result will follow. What is the inevitable result? He will be angry. You will perish, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Can you imagine what it must be like to know the anger of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Can you imagine what it must be like to have his anger kindled against you? I, I don't think you can. Um, I can't imagine what that must be like. But the little that I do understand is frightening enough without understanding it completely. But here is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation is held out to us yet again in the very last line of the psalm. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, this psalm ends with this merciful invitation that God holds out to us. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Why do people ignore him? Why do they look for answers everywhere except where those answers are to be found? They are happy and at peace, who find their happiness and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we started by saying, who rules? We looked at Psalm 2 and the answer that it gives. We saw firstly the plot against God. We saw secondly God's response. We saw thirdly the choice that is held out to us. And we saw that the clear answer of Psalm 2 to the question, who rules, is he rules. God rules. The Lord Jesus Christ rules. This is a wonderful truth to contemplate in this confused and confusing world that we live in. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, bless us now as we continue to contemplate this wonderful psalm and as we go through this Lord's Day, we pray, Lord, that its truths might constantly sink into our hearts and minds, that we might love you all the more and rejoice in your goodness and rejoice especially that we know who rules. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we praise you and thank you in his name. Amen.